We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 233. Scott, not much to talk about except those five and a half innings of suspended baseball. Yeah, maybe we can break down every single pitch that Masahiro Tanaka threw from the stretch, from the windup. We got a, a lot to analyze with that. But yeah, there really hasn't been much. Unfortunately, Mother Nature has taken over and uh, and has won, has won the week of baseball. But, you know, we're going to have to... Uh, 
have to get these. Uh, we can't go back to the way it was in the beginning of the season because if you remember, this was one of the excuses. One of the excuses was, "Hey, the guys haven't had consecutive games in a while, playing, uh, you know, playing better teams." Well, now we're off for a long time, and we're going to Kansas City. Yeah, and what the schedule, what the rain and everything, and the cold weather has done is, it's now ha- given them a ton of off days in April and now May, and then June is going to be an absolute bitch of a schedule because between the doubleheader they have to play in Detroit and then the game and a half that they have to play in Washington, they're going to have basically no off days in June. It's going to be tough in June. Yeah, that's going to be a that's going to be a really hard stretch, and obviously that's when. That's when things start getting really hot outside, and and guys will, um, you know, probably fatigue a little bit more. Definitely going to need to get your uh, your backup catcher in there more often. There's going to be different scenarios that Boone will have to deal with, but hey, the uh, hopefully they can uh, they can roll through that and, and keep it going. But it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the thing we dealt with early in the season where the it was cold and we had all these days off, and now we're dealing with something similar, not cold. But in June we will have no days off. Um, unless, you know, it rains at opportune times. With the rain, you're getting the, uh, there's no excuse for a rain delay in 2018. Every team should have a retractable roof. Hot takes. Yeah, those are all over the place. They're, those things cost a little bit of money. You know, there's a, they're, they're a little, uh, they're, they definitely weigh on the pockets. I don't know. I'm not, I hate domes in the first place for baseball. I think domes in baseball are just, they're just bad. Uh, I think having a open air stadium is absolutely the way to go, but that's me. Well, what I th- I think it's a little unfair that some of the teams get the domes and some of them don't. Why? Because you think it's an advantage for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Not the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, but the Houston Astros never have to worry about weather. I understand you never have to worry about weather if you're a team in Los Angeles as well, because it's just perfectly beautiful out every day. So when does it stop? I don't know. Maybe you just make it every new ballpark here on out needs a retractable roof. And, um, of course, MLB is not going to help foot that bill. It's going to be the taxpayers. It's going to be you and me, Scott, footing the bill for the retractable roof. The other thing about those, if you're talking about a, a, a stadium or a dome with one of those roofs, first of all, they're ugly. They're just ugly. They're an eyesore on most of the places. You I haven't seen do very it many right. places. Like, there aren't very many places that I've done it right. Usually Seattle. it's pretty ugly. Seattle is the only one I can think of. <laughs> but a lot of them look ugly. And if you have a dome, they're ugly. And that's just that's just the way it is. You have a nice outdoor stadium. You could do so many things with it. It's a it, it, you can you can you know build it into your city, not with a freaking dome. That just is there. There's nothing you could do about it. Do you remember the renderings of the new Yankee Stadium back in 0708? It some of them had a roof on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember that. That's did they really the uh, like some of the early ones? Yeah, some that of would, the early renderings. Like here's what the Yankee Stadium could look like if they decide to do a retractable roof. Yeah, I'll have to look back at the at the images. Was it ugly? Probably was. No, it was the exact same thing, just with a sliding with a dome. <laughs> with a dome. Uh, anyway, I'm glad I'm glad we're not doing it. I'm glad everybody uh, has their own thing. You know, there's too much too much of uh, you know of the same thing all over the league makes makes things a little bit boring. Makes a, makes uh, Jack a dull boy. Despite not really much uh, happening on the field, there is a lot of news off the field. And and we also were joined by Connor Foley. He covers the Rail Riders for Scranton Times Tribune. He's going to be on the second half of this show. I spoke with him about Drury and his rehab, Clint Frazier, Tyler Wade, the Rail Riders pitching rotation, Justice Sheffield. So a lot of good stuff 
um, happening with Scranton. So stay tuned for that. But also there was a lot of news uh, on Tuesday. But let's just first talk about, I guess, the the suspended game. They're tied in the in the sixth inning at three to three. It was looking ugly for a little while because Tanaka looked like it was going to be the bad Tanaka, the Tanaka that we have come to hate. In the first eight batters that he faced, four of them reached base and he gave up three runs. And then he comes out in the fourth inning and decides, let me go to, or the third inning, excuse me, let me go to the stretch. And from there on out, he retired 11 batters in a row. Yeah, it's crazy how how an adjustment like that can, I don't know, I don't know if it helps, uh, you know, what it helps, whether his comfort level, if it simples up, you know, makes his uh, mechanics a lot more simple and, and, you know, more repeatable. It's whatever it is. I'm glad that he found something that he can go to that, that kind of levels him out. You know what I mean? Like if you're having a bad day and you're flying open or, you know, how Tanaka always, oh, he always has some kind of a, a reaction, a body reaction after he throws a bad pitch, whether it's like, you know, exaggerating his arm movement or, you know, kind of trying to feel what he does in his legs. He always shows something after a bad pitch. Usually it's on a home run. Um, so if he can, if he can have an, a, an adjustment where he goes to the stretch and he's able to simplify things and actually make some uh, in-game changes that are effective, I'm all for it. That's, that's fine. But that's kind of between the ears. That was the first word that came to my mind was simplified because that's exactly what he was doing. And you saw the improved location after he went to the stretch. He was getting his slider low and away to right-handed hitters in the first couple innings. He was not putting it there. And his fastball also had improved location. So I don't know, maybe maybe because he does kind of have, as many Japanese pitchers do, a little bit of a hitch in their full windup. Maybe, maybe he just was losing his mechanics when he was going to that. Yeah, I mean, I could see how that's possible, especially, like you said, a lot of the Japanese guys have that hitch or they have a delay in the middle of it. A lot of them will take that almost a pause at the top of the rotation when they get their balance and then, uh, you know, drive. But it's it's definitely something that can throw your timing off, throw, and if your timing's off, your mechanics are going to be off, and then your location's going to be off. Your arm, uh, the, the hand placement, the wherever the ball comes out is going to be off. And if you could simplify it by going to the stretch... I mean, it makes sense. Mariano Rivera was very good out of the stretch for a long time. You see well, a lot of closers. Relief it, pitchers are different. But, but they do it But they do it when there's nobody on base. They do it when they come in just yep. because they can repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And a lot of times, guys have tr- trouble. And I think a lot of times when you see people, uh, starting pitchers that are not as effective on a given day or if they're erratic, it's because something is off, whether they're flying open early. That's usually what you hear. You hear that all the time. Um, or, you know, they're not repeating the... Uh, you know, the, the placement of, of certain parts of their body, then yeah, you can always take less of the movement out and simplify it. So, I mean, hey, if, if it works, you could keep the velocity, you could throw the same pitches. It's not, not that big of a deal. Yeah, he was actually getting increased velocity. That could have been for other factors as well. He could have been just getting into the rhythm of the game. His arm could have been looser. But you, if you're not losing velocity from the stretch, then then yeah, maybe it is a, a great thing for Tanaka. What I'm interested in is when, because obviously this is something that he and Rothschild spoke about. Did it right. happen in the middle of the game? Did it happen between his last two starts? And it was something that, hey, if you struggle in your next start, let's try this out. Because we've seen Tanaka not really want to adapt mid-game before. Like we spoke about after he got crushed by the Marlins and we were saying how like you can only throw so many breaking balls while they keep hitting it before you eventually have to adapt and you have to change. And he seemed like he refused to change in-game. Well, this time he decided to, to do something different 
Yeah, and that kind of that kind of leads me to believe that this is something that they've talked about and something that they have, you know, whether whether it's a, during a bullpen bullpen session has just a, you know they've taken more time to throw from the stretch or so, it seems like something has been discussed or at least worked on uh, because of this because you know he just hasn't looked fully comfortable all year we've I mean we've seen glimpses but he just hasn't been the same guy um, and his consistency level has not been there for sure so you know one of the things that that you're, you're trying to do to get more consistent is is you know tinker little little tiny things that you could control and then see how they do it when you uh, when you make those adjustments maybe this is one of them I gotta believe they it was or maybe he was so embarrassed by his strikeout and David Robertson laughing in his face that he decided <laughs> that he needs to change things up. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, that's something that's just that. I mean, I know we're going to talk about this and how utterly ridiculous it is for some of these pitchers to be hitting, but yeah, he looked pretty bad, real bad. Of course he did. I mean, he gets what four at bats a year? <laughs> like, of course he's going to look bad, right? It's, I know. We say this every every year during interleague play that it is a much more of a disadvantage for American League teams to go to NL parks than it is for NL teams to go to AL parks because all you do as an NL team is you plug in one of your bench hitters and and boom, your lineup is is already better. But for an AL team, you risk injury, like we did with uh, Chin Ming Wong back in two thousand eight. You have guys who get no at bats all year going up there, and you just pray don't get injured on that swing or or don't round into a double play just take three down the middle if there's guys on base yeah you don't want these guys doing movements that they've never done or or they're not doing often and especially in a situation like that you know one someone's having a discussion with them they're they're saying hey don't don't overdo it don't try to swing too hard just take a couple swings and come back to the dugout but you know some of these guys are going out there and they're trying to do something. And when you're trying to overexert yourself in a in a movement that's not normal to what you do on a daily basis, then there's a higher risk for injury. It's just it's science. <laughs> it's science, people. <laughs> Let's just get rid of this nonsense because it's stupid and it looks bad. And I don't want to watch it. Yeah. And for every every hilarious gif of Bartolo Colon swinging and his helmet falling off, you get just countless numbers of dead rallies because your pitcher is coming up. Yeah. And, and, you know, you had Boone hitting Tanaka in the eight spot, which Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting and I've seen it before. Um, I guess the theory is that you have a guy to, to get into the leadoff. It's almost like you're acting like it's another leadoff, turning the lineup over a little bit quicker. It's a, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting thing. You're, you're still getting one less at bat for, for uh, the guy in the nine spot, but you're going to, you know, you're going to be pinch hitting at some point for that pitcher. So, I understand it. I don't have a problem with it either way. It's just uh, you don't see a lot of guys doing that. Yeah, some people were freaking out about Tanaka batting eighth, and clearly Boone is a proponent of this. Who knows? For all we know, Cashman could be a proponent of this, and he's instructing Boone to Oh, stop it. Why? He's not instructing Boone to do anything. Boone is his own man. No. Yes, 100%. I think we've noticed this. Okay, fine. So, So let's say Boone is a proponent of pitchers batting eighth. I don't think it really makes much of a difference because, say, Glaber Torres was coming up in that spot. It was second and third, nobody out. So, of course, Gio Gonzalez would have walked Glaber Torres. And then you have Tanaka up there with bases loaded, nobody out. He most likely strikes out the exact same way that he did. So then I guess you have um, Hicks was leading off, right? You have Hicks up with bases loaded, one out instead of second and third, two outs. So, yeah, you lose a little bit of a something, but... Does it really make that much of a difference? Because in the end, it's your pitcher batting, and he sucks. I mean, it could it could happen no matter what. Even if he's in the ninth spot, and you have two guys on base, 
and and you know, uh, someone up in the eighth spot, they're gonna walk and they get the out, or they're gonna they, they can always pitch around it one way or another. If he's in the nine spot or the eight spot, given the situation, there the team would be able to pitch around it. That's just part of the deal. But the bottom line is, and I know we went into this what, last year or the year before, whenever the hell we've talked every both every years. year. <laughs> the the fact is, well, one we watch American League baseball. I've always watched American League Baseball. You've always watched American League Baseball. Nine, nine out of ten people listening to the show primarily are watching American League Baseball. I will watch some National League Baseball if it's on like a, a night like tonight when the Yankees haven't played baseball in like seems like a week. I will watch some baseball. And if it's National League, okay, I'll deal with it. But at the same time, I cannot stand watching these pitchers hit. That's not what they're there to do. Why not just implement the DH? If If you're a baseball purist if those exist anymore i mean i'm kind of one of them i guess to, um, i lean to that side this 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 i got no problem with i mean it should be if the if the world series is being played by both teams and both teams have to do uh, have to play each other at the end of the year they should they should be on on the level playing field implement the dh everybody could always use another hitter i'm pretty sure i've asked you this question each of the last two years but if you could decide uh, you have to pick one that uh, they both so they they stay the same or they both go to um, go to the pitcher batting so it stays as it is American League DH NL pitcher or you can get on the same page but it's the National League rules what would you pick oh I would not I would not go back in time and and have uh, pitchers hit in the American League no I would not do that see I, I actually I would, I would point and, and and call the National League stupid <laughs> and old timey. And say, you need to grow up. You need to grow up. I think the stupidest part of this whole thing is that you have two leagues in the same sport that have different rules. That, that I, to me, just is the, the stupidest thing ever. It is dumb. It's, it's very dumb. And especially when they play for the championship at the end. So the, the two teams are built differently because of that. And, you know, maybe there's some... Maybe that's a part of the, the, str- the, strat- the strategy when you're, you know, in these games. But I, I, I just don't think it's... I don't know what the what the worth is for the National League at this point. One, you're you're able to to make it more entertaining. I think we all realize that, you know, chicks dig the long ball. This is people like seeing offense. So, as a National League team, don't you want more offense? Don't you want to not have your guy go up there and potentially get injured? I don't know. A lot of people like the underdog part of the, and it's mostly National League people because that's what they know, and that's the problem. People are ingrained in what they know and what they've seen their whole lives. Yeah, and speaking of National League Baseball, you need extra bench players because you're in a pinch hit for your pitchers. That's why I thought Clint Frazier got the call up because they had a thin bench and that they were going to need to do that for the two games. They didn't play either of those two games, and they're keeping Frazier on the roster. He's going to go to Kansas City with them. I saw uh, Hoke tweet out that Boone said he's going to try and get Frazier at-bats against some of the lefties that Kansas City is throwing this weekend. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting that they're actually keeping him on the roster. I think that actually alludes a little bit more to they uh, that Aaron Boone wants to see this guy do something up here and and potentially, you know, make some noise. I mean, he was doing so well in in Scranton, and you know, he had such a, a successful I don't know if it's a rehab or extended spring training or whatever you want to call it that you know it's a guy who can help the the team theoretically right now from from what we're looking at because we know that that uh, Aaron Hicks has not been doing the job. Granted, Clint Frazier is not a natural center fielder, but if you remember early in the spring, he's like, before he got hurt, he said, hey, Booney, 
if you need to, I can play center. I, if, if this is if there is competition for the center field job, because there kind of was, you know, throw my hat in the ring. So, well, yeah, that's the thing. Who is he going to take at bats from? Say he, t- I don't think he's going to take at bats from Hicks because they seem to like Hicks, even though his numbers indicate he's not hitting lefties. I think they like Hicks's bat that he's a switch hitter in there. So you'd think that Frazier will take a game away from Brett Gardner this weekend, and you would have Frazier and left Hicks and center, and then either Judge and 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 Stanton DHing and playing right field. Yeah, I mean, and Boone's already talked about getting Gardner more days off. Not like he needs it now because well, he just had a week off. They're, they're not playing for a long time. Uh, I don't know. I think this is more about getting Frazier uh, and at bat and see how he can do and and kind of pushing the envelope. Maybe maybe giving uh, putting a little heat on some of the other guys, specifically Aaron Hicks. I think this is really what it's about uh, is putting some heat on him because his his play. You know, yeah, his, he's he plays defense well. He's a pl- uh, a, a for sure plus center fielder. He's got the best arm if you're uh, on the team in the outfield judge is probably a close second but your Aaron Hicks is the the best arm out there so yeah he's an athlete in the field and you know if you're looking at run prevention and, and and what he does in the field you know you could look at you could look at that and say well he's more valuable on this particular team as a great defender and we're not so much worried about the bat because the offense is already kind of taken care of well Hicks is regular traditional statistics are are bad this year and I think that's what a lot of people are looking at they see the low batting average they see the low um, OPS overall I mean his splits uh, batting right-handed he's only batting 115 with a 326 OPS which is just just dumbfoundingly bad like it's three three hits and 26 at bats that's, it that's is bad it is like pitcher level bad he's actually having a respectable season uh, against Righty, so batting left, he's batting 243 with an 811 OPS and a 120 WRC plus. So he's above average batting from the left side. His career splits indicate that he's a better uh, right-handed hitter than left, but I don't think that's the case anymore. Some of those numbers are from his Minnesota days, especially now in Yankee Stadium. He's got more power potential from the left side. So I kind of throw out those career splits, and that's what we heard, right, when when Cashman traded for this guy. Oh, he's going to do damage against lefties. Well, we really have been yet to seeing that. We have yet to see that. Yeah, and Aaron Hicks was one of the guys that, that I have been waiting to see a long stretch from to see what he is as a player. And, you know, we saw stretches last year when he came, you know, back from injury, uh, blazing hot. I think he started the season well. You know, we've seen stretches of him doing well. But then we've also seen stretches of him very bad and just look lost, like not a major league, uh, you know, a major league caliber uh, batter. The guy can play defense. We know that the guy is definitely uh, going to be the best center field defender on the team. It's just a matter of if he can uh, put, you know, get the bat to a point where he's he's usable from both sides of the plate. And the other thing is if the Yankees even so much care, if they're weighing that so uh, dramatically uh, less than the defense, then that's another thing that's uh, against Clint Frazier. Because Frazier's not playing center field. If he is, he's not playing it to the level of Aaron Hicks, 100%. No, and I think that they would first move Gardner to center for the day. If Hicks is, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Clint Frazier patrol center a little bit. I think he could do it athletically. Um, he's played there in the past in his baseball career, but he's he's been a corner outfielder since he's been a pro, 
And that's you know that's where the Yankees have had him all the way through the minor leagues. Well, no, when, when actually, he's in the minor leagues. he was actually playing center for Scranton some on some of these games. Did he play a couple in yeah. the rehab one? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, see, there you go. That's even better. I, I when you look at the guy as an athlete and the way that he can defend, we saw him play left field really well. We saw him make some some very good plays. And left field in Yankee Stadium might as well be center field in, in a lot of places. Definitely. Yeah, well, I'm good with it. I yeah. want to. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see the options. Um, yeah, that's the thing though. Like, how long before? Because how much? What do you got to weigh the cost? You got to weigh the benefits and the negatives of having Frazier just be essentially a fifth outfielder, right? Like, he's not going to get regular playing time. So you're you're kind of hurting yourself because you're taking up a roster spot, and you're hurting him by only having him play once or twice a week. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised that they they're keeping him on the roster because he really hasn't made. You know, they have to take another trip. I'm surprised he's uh, he's still up on the roster unless they have some other plan or they do they actually want to see him or you know here's the other thing we have even said maybe they're showcasing him maybe they're trying to get him to have a nice little hot stretch against the Kansas City Royals <laughs> to see what he can do to show that he can do it in the major leagues right now. Who see, knows? see, I'm going to disagree with you on that because the best way to show... He already proved he can play in the major leagues last year. He did go through some growing pains, but he did sh- uh, show some flashes. So he's already done that. The best way to showcase him would to be, look at this. He is so ready for the major leagues. He is absolutely destroying AAA competition. Trade for this guy. Do it. Trade for this guy. Well, I mean, guy. He's, already, he's already doing that, though. I mean, he's right? lighting it so up. Right, let him, so let him do that for two, three more weeks and then trade him if that's their, their grand plan for him. Yeah, I don't know what the grand plan is. It's, it's a little strange, the fact that he's staying with the team going to Kansas City. That's, that's the one glaring thing. To me, it's a little odd that they will be keeping him on the roster. I was surprised as well. Did you, did you see uh, the Frazier quote that he said he's actually more excited for this call-up than he was his Major League debut? I mean, I think that's just Frazier talking out of his ass. <laughs> being Clint Frazier, personally. But I mean, he did well, just have good. a concussion I'm glad he's excited. Well. Yeah, I'm glad he's excited. You know why? Because he's got... He's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder at this point. There, there's been some injuries. There's been some of this, hey, he's the forgotten guy, the forgotten, all these prospects are doing well in the major leagues. Frazier's still not there. So, yeah, I mean, I understand there's a, there's a bit of a, um, you know, one of those things, Look, wait till you see me, and he's got something to prove now. So I kind of like that. I mean, I think that's a good quality to have at this point. Having a chip on your shoulder, there's nothing, usually there's nothing, nothing bad about that. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of guys that have that chip on their shoulder, even if there's really no reason for it. little professional podcasting tease here for you. I talked to uh, Connor about if Clint Frazier feels like he has done all that he can do in AAA and if he has maybe a little bit of a grudge that the Yankees are sticking him in the minor still. So, well, There you go. There you go. Uh, one more thing on Hicks, and I was actually having this conversation with Frank Marco, who's been doing some of the sabermetrics research for us uh, today is that Hicks might be getting some bad luck, similar to how we spoke to Gardner's bad luck, low BABIP. Uh, Hicks is actually has the highest hard hit rate of his career this year, but he has a low BABIP, so he might just also be hitting into some bad luck. Yeah, it's just hard to compare what we're looking at to previous years just because of the you know the extended time. I don't know. There's it, it, just such there's a choppy outlook. There's a choppy sample size when you're yes. talking about Aaron Hicks. That's that's the biggest problem to me. You're yeah. not seeing something that's over over an extended period of time. So I almost don't know what he is still. Yeah, Even and, now, I don't know what he is. And with Gardner, we can say, well, this guy has eight years of steady right. history. You can't yes. say that about Hicks. No, I, I legitimately don't know what he is still. I know what he is as a defender. I have no idea what he is as an offensive player. I really don't. The, the, the Hicks we saw in May and June of last year, I mean, if he's that Aaron Hicks, well, then he's, 
He's a very, very useful player. But he was going to be a borderline all-star. That's the level of production he was giving the Yankees in the first half of last year. But I, I have no clue if that's the real Aaron Hicks. Well, no, because we saw him as one of the uh, freaking terrible when after the trade uh, for for John Ryan Murphy, and we saw him in the major leagues for a while. He was awful, and everybody was like, "What? What is this guy? Why is he here? He's a good golfer, I hear." Aaron's talking about, <laughs> and he can throw golfer. 105 miles an hour from the outfield, and he could throw. Yeah, I remember. I remember getting mad at a game because they kept highlighting that one throw that he threw 105 miles. Meaning, meanwhile. He's a freaking out every time he gets up to the plate. I'm like, I, I don't care that he could throw 105 miles an hour. He's a freaking out every time. So I, I legitimately don't know what he is on the long term because he's shown such different players. He's been a different player, like drastically different at different times that he's been up. It's strange. Yeah, I, I just don't see. I think Cashman likes him. And I, and I think Boone likes him because Cashman likes him. So they're going to stick with him for a while. I think he's going to have to, if he's not hitting maybe by the summer, like middle summer, then you might see him finally get pulled from the lineup. But until then, I don't think it's going to happen. He's one of those guys that's that's uh, that's kind of how I look at, at some of these pitchers. He's a toolsy guy, right? You love the fact that you know he's a, a plus-plus defender. You know that. That's done. Like this guy is robbing home runs, throwing people out from the warning track. That's That's who you know he is. We all know that. But there's potential and upside on the other side as well. There's the Yankee, the, the fact that he's a switch hitter, the fact that he's a ridiculous athlete, the fact that he hasn't hit his stride yet. Like these are all things that are like, oh man, I can. I, if we just wait one more week, or if we just wait one more month, he's really going to hit his stride. And I think that is one of the things that that can either. It's it's really hard to to stop that and to uh, to say, hey, at what point do we say, okay, he's not going to get there. He is too inconsistent with the bat. Uh, he's just not going to be the player we think he is. That's I think that's a hard place to get to. Right. He's 28 years old. You can only talk for so long about how he was the Minnesota Twins' first uh, first round draft pick for so long before you just got to move on. Right. Uh, one thing we kind of glossed over in last episode was Stanton, and very quietly, I think for quietly for Stanton anyway, he's turned. He's been. He's been more consistent, let's put it that way. Since May 2nd, which was the two-homer game in Houston, he's had 48 plate appearances. He's batting 350 with a 1.283 OPS. He's only striking out 18% of the time, and he has five homers and 11 RBIs. I understand that his splits, which we're going to get to against lefties and righters, are drastically different, but that's, that's a solid two weeks uh, pretty much since May started where he's been a steady force. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, I think we all... Anybody who was uh, who who didn't go completely off the deep end expected him to to bounce back and get to a, a point where he's going to be more consistent. And you know he's tweaked his swing a little bit. He's closed it off more, um, dr- dramatically more. And he's obviously more comfortable. He's uh, he was talking about flying open too much, so he closed it off even more. And he's able to stay through the ball now. So you know again he made the adjustments to get to the point where he can uh, where he can be a more consistent batter and put up more consistent at bats. But yeah, the splits is something. I think we'll we'll see these splits come a lot closer. I mean, they're they're pretty far off right now, but we're going to see them, uh, you know, come back closer to a median line. Well, his batting average against lefties is four fifty nine, and his OPS is one point six three five. And then against righties, he's only batting one ninety two, and his OPS is point six two two. Right. So <laughs> it's ridiculous. As that is ridiculous. And one he's got thing- also one hundred and thirty eight at bats, uh, plate appearances uh, from the right side, and only forty two from the left side. So okay, the numbers are course. also skewed because of that. 
But the, the the one I'm looking at is the strikeout rate against righties. 33% against righties, only 21% against lefties. And I heard um, Jack Curry talking about it on the pregame yesterday. And his close stance, Stanton's close stance actually against lefties really works in his favor because the breaking ball does not go away from him. Where against righties, it's the slider. He's been really swinging at that slider against righties, slider in the dirt, low and away, which is breaking away from him. He has not been able to lay off of that. Perhaps the 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 dramatic close stance is a reason why we're seeing him still struggle against righties. Yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, you want production across the board too. If there is still a, a spot that he needs to improve, then you know you just kind of deal with that, and he'll get better as the season goes on and recognizing that pitch and laying off of it. I think that's the biggest thing is recognizing the pitch and just not swinging at it. I mean, that's what we've seen a lot from Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge literally just doesn't swing at those breaking balls outside, you know, compared to what he did early uh, the first uh, the first two months of his career when he was just flailing at, at every single outside breaking ball. I, I think the discipline just comes as the uh, season progresses and he gets more comfortable in that thing. But, I mean, we're the splits that we're seeing right now, also, you're going to have to, uh, you know, a lot of these right-handed uh, pitcher at-bats you know, probably came earlier in the season as well when he was really struggling. You know, I'd like to see what they look like around the All-Star break. I bet we start seeing more of, uh, you know, the, the splits being closer. I mean, I still think the left-handed pitching, he's going to be way up. But I, 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 the right-handed, the numbers against right-handed pitching are definitely going to go up. Yeah, that's the thing is with, you just mentioned it about Judge, where it doesn't matter if it's a lefty or a righty on the mound. He he has the same plate discipline, the same plate approach every single time. It right. is, it's almost like he he knows what's coming sometimes. Yeah, no, he does. I mean, he's, I think it's interesting when when you look at the, the two guys and how, how similar they're attacked at least. But, you know, pitch recognition out of the, out of the hand is, is going to be the, the biggest thing for him um, so that he's able to make the adjustment you know, at the pitch or just before the pitch uh, to, to whatever's coming. And if he could lay off of those those sweeping sliders across the plate and break it away from him, you know, I think that's going to be a huge deal for him against right-handed pitching. Stanton also got his 1,000th career hit on Tuesday. It was a bloop single. And he has 499 of those 1,000 hits have gone for extra bases. How badly do you think he just wishes he had one extra, one more extra base hit to make it an even 500? Well, he, he probably knew that right before this hit. So he's like, all I need to do is get an extra base hit and I have 500 and 1,000. That's it. And he realized that he had a little bloop single. He should have just kept running. Oh, or he was hoping that that game would just get totally canceled out and then he gets another, he gets a do-over for a career hit number 1,000. Yeah. But, you know, once, the, once, you, once you're up, when you have a plate appearance, you know you got you know you to hit a double. Got to hit it. The other news, uh, sad, sad news from our old friend, Robbie Cano. Robbie Cano, oh no, suspended for 80 games. What, what was your reaction when you saw that news? Uh, wasn't surprised. Really? really? Yeah, no, I wasn't surprised at all. Hmm. I mean, we, there were, what, 2014? There was, a, there was smoke about this, about when the, uh, th- there was some list, what was it, the Biogenesis was back. When did Biogenesis happen? Was no, that, that was 14. I thought that was before. I thought that was the list. either way. They they don't. So a lot of those guys didn't fail tests, right? They had um, they didn't fail PED tests, but they got busted for other things like masks, like diuretics and things like that. But MLB did investigations and had information that they were closely tied to certain people. And they all just basically took their suspensions, right? They took their suspensions and they said, okay, I'm not going to fight this because you'll expose me for being even worse, a worse guy than I really am. 
And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. Yet he wasn't technically suspended for a PED, a, uh, a, you know, a, a steroid. He was suspended for a diuretic that was on a list. But guess what the diuretic is used for? The diuretic, he says, is used, was used for a medical condition given to him high by a doctor. High blood pressure. High blood pressure. He actually came out and said it. Because mm-hmm. in the beginning, he didn't. He's talking about uh, for a, a doctor in the Dominican Republic. And apparently, he didn't tell anybody. Like, this is, you know, all you got to do is look on the list. There's a list of all these, uh, all the drugs that are not allowed in Major League Baseball that can get you suspended to cross check. Why doesn't that happen? It's because he's masking something. That's why. Well, I mean, if you don't think that, if people don't think that he's actually doing PEDs, and this is a, this this is one of the big things that these guys do. They're one step ahead because they can clean the urine. That's what's happening. Well, the the diuretic that he tested positive for in it of itself is not illegal. But MLB was able to prove that he was using it to mask another drug. They were right. actually able to prove that. That's what obviously is illegal that's what he got popped for this apparently happened before the season started and he was going through appeals process but once he broke his hand and he was going to go on the the 60-day deal anyway he said okay let me let me drop my appeal let me just get my suspension over with which i think is a a load of crap that you can serve your ped suspension while you're already on the dl that is bullshit wait whoa so there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of nonsense around this whole thing, right? One, he broke his hand, right? It was a, or fractured his hand, whatever. They, they downplayed it in the way it was. And they put him on the 10-day DL. That's first flag. As soon as I saw that, I was like, why is he on the 10-day DL? That makes no sense. He ain't coming back in 10 days. What are they doing? And now we see what they're doing. They put him on the 10-day. So are we positive that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't actually start the suspension or he starts the suspension now and not after the 10-day DL stint? Because a fractured hand is a sixty-day DL, right? That's probably what you're going to be on. So he was going to. They put him on the ten-day DL, but did they put him on the ten-day DL just so that they could start the suspension instead of being DL to delay the the suspension? Because that's what I thought happened. I don't know. If they if they did that if they did that either way, I mean, this is another one of these loophole rules, like the one with the MLB service time. Like you got to clean this crap up. Like this this should not be allowed. I don't care if there's. Any way around it, they should just look at this for what it is and say, no, no, Robinson Cano, you are on the disabled list. When you are done with your – when you are ready to come back, then you start serving your suspension. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is there's there's a number of fishy things about the whole thing. I mean the whole DL stint, the 10-day DL stint is strange because you don't go on a 10-day DL when you break your hand, when you have a fractured hand. You just don't. It's not enough time. It's that that right there should have been a flag to whoever's you know policing the um, the injuries or the the DL stints because someone's got to be looking at what's happening with this on the teams, and then all of a sudden he gets the suspension put out and he doesn't appeal it because well he would have been out for longer anyway, you know it's it's a it's a it's not I don't even know if that's a loophole I just think that's just downright dirty that's just downright freaking dirty anyway he can't play in the playoffs. That's a thing. No, so they ain't making the playoffs anyway. He's totally, he's totally screwed. I mean, even if they had a team that was pushing, I think they're only what a game and a half, yeah, two games out of first right there. now. Yeah. So you know that's a big blow to the Mariners. They've definitely loaded up. They're a much better team today uh, and or uh, this year than they were last year. So you know maybe they were putting it together. This is a huge blow for them. And now they have to say, okay, well, what is Robinson Cano going to be in his age 36 through 40 seasons when he's Ha-ha! not doing steroids? Ha-ha! <laughs> gotcha, bitch! Uh, okay, so who do you blame? Do you blame A-Rod? Do you blame Melky Cabrera? Or do you blame David Ortiz? 
Who supplied him? Who supplied him? Um, I think he was instructed to go. He was instructed by David Ortiz to go to Melky's fake website <laughs> to buy the steroids, and he was given the actual cocktail by A Rod. <laughs> okay, so, so A Rod was serving him. He A Rod invited him over to his place. Didn't tell him what was in the in the, pull out in stuff. the cocktail. <laughs> pull out stuff. Pull out stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. There's there's a subliminal message in pull out stuff that we don't know about. It's there's there's something. It's an acronym actually for um you know whatever they were hiding this whatever they're masking with the diuretic. I so part of me obviously is able to joke about this, and I'm happy that Cano is no longer on the Yankees and they don't have to deal with this circus. But at the same time, Robinson Cano, from the time he was called up in 05 through 2013, was one of not only the best Yankees, one of my favorite Yankees. So part of me is also like, ah, damn it, really, really, Robbie. See, I I, uh, I lost all emotional connection to Robinson Cano when he left. I really did. I lost You're a it all. Heartless son of a bitch. Yeah. Well, you know what. He, the reasons he went, why he went to, uh, to hide in Seattle are, are just pure greed. And, and it's, and it's the money that could have been made in so many other ways as a New York Yankee. And there's so many other things that go about that have to do with your career and how you're remembered and all these things. And it just, it, it, it put me down the path saying that Robinson Cano does not care about those things. He doesn't care about his legacy as a New York Yankee. He doesn't care how the Yankee fans remember him or how he's remembered in baseball as a New York Yankee and, and the, the importance of, of that. And as a Yankee fan, if you don't want to be on the Yan- if you don't want to be a part of the New York Yankees and the storied history of the New York Yankees and win championships with this team, because he could have been the, the cornerstone, the, the, the guy on, on this team for a long time. Uh, then, then you know what? See you later, dude. Like goodbye. It's not like he wasn't going to get paid from the New York Yankees. He was getting paid a lot of money, given a lot of years. It's about it, respect. It was about respect, right? Greed gave they him disres- two more years. They disrespected him with the contract they offered him. Such horseshit. And also, maybe he. Wa- I think part of it was he wanted to be the guy. He was not the guy. He would have been the guy. He no, would have been see, the guy. At that time, A. Rod was still on the team. Teixeira was on the team. There was a lot of other big name free agents who were there already, big name players that were there already. He was not really the guy, even though he was their best player. He wasn't. It wasn't. Gonna I'm not be, saying he was the guy then. He would have. He was going to be the guy that they were going to build well, around. If well, he signed that contract, he would have been the guy. His ego got the best of him, and he said, "I'm going to go to Seattle and rescue that franchise." And obviously, it didn't work. They have not made the playoffs since they signed him, and I don't think they're going to make the playoffs with him because See, the Astros look like a juggernaut in that division. The Angels are young and 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 doing better than them. So. I don't even know if the Angels are young. They have Mike Trout. That's all I know. <laughs> they're not. They're not young. They the. Uh, I, I don't think his ego had anything to do with it. Actually, I think if you if you had an ego, you would have stayed in New York. I think it was all about cash. I think he was listening to people around him. Decided to go and take the money. I don't know what you're trying to do in Seattle. You're 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 gone. If you go to Seattle, you're gone. You're not on the East Coast any longer. You're not in the New York in New York City any longer. You're not in L.A. You're in freaking Seattle. Nobody knows what you're doing there. There, there's just nobody there to care about it. I think he wanted to go just play baseball and make a ton of money and and kind of do nothing else. I what think that's I, that's what we wanted. What did I say? They they uh, all everyone up there just listens to Pearl Jam. Yeah, you said something about and smokes weed. They <laughs> oh, listen right. to Pearl Jam and smoke weed, and yeah. the entire state of Washington hates you now. Yeah, that doesn't sound like too bad of an existence, to be honest. 
Uh, Yankees going to the Royals. The Royals suck. They're 13 and 29, so got to take this series. They're shuffling the rotation around because of the rainout. So Sabathia was supposed to pitch against Scherzer. He's going to be moved to Friday. He's going up against Jacob Junis. And then on Saturday, Sevy versus Danny Duffy. The Yankees have seen Danny Duffy a bunch, and he actually has really good numbers against them. Kind of like that junk balling lefty. But uh, he does have a 651 ERA this year. And then Sonny Gray against Eric Skogland. Um, who is only in his second season? Nobody really in the Yankees lineup has seen him. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how Sonny Gray pitches again. He's going to frustrate the living hell out of me, most likely. And um, I don't know. I mean, if you if you can't pitch well back to back, you get you get the Oakland A's. Then and and I admit the Oakland A's are kind of a sneaky decent offensive team. Yeah, they do have guys that get the better. ball out of the they're park. They're better than I think um, yeah. a lot of their. At least that, if you go up and down a young that team. roster, <laughs> that's a young team that has a lot of guys with pop. Yeah. Offensively, I think that they actually have a pretty good team. They don't have any pitching. No, they don't have any. They always trade because your boy trades them all away as soon as they're good. Yeah. Um, but I mean, this is this is one of those one of those starts that you have to circle. And we'll be recording that day. It's Sunday, so I'll be fired up, ready to roll, talking about Sonny Gray. <laughs> hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully he doesn't drive me insane on that day because um, yeah, what's well, becoming uh, a pattern? Um, he's he really he's infuriating. Last thing I wanted to touch on is that uh, you can uh, gamble legally or eventually coming up, you can gamble legally. Um, This is like everyone's been talking about this, how it's going to revolutionize these sports because gambling's already happening. So maybe these 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 franchises are going to get a cut. Potentially, there's going to be states getting involved with this. So I'm not personally a, a gambler when I'm in Vegas. I'll put some money on some games. But I don't have a bookie. I wouldn't really go out and find a bookie because I spend enough time screaming at a TV about baseball. I don't need to also lose money while I scream at a TV about baseball. So just win then. It's a lot easier when you win. Don't lose. And that's right, what I do. Right. But, so you do. You, you, you bet a little bit. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of when I go to a casino, like I'm not, I'm not a big game guy because I do lose there. <laughs> I suck at those games. I, I'd probably, I just haven't taken enough time to actually like get good at them or at least have a comfort level where I think I'm good at them. I'm not there. So I usually watch people gamble and lose money. And I saw that happen in New Orleans a lot. There was a lot of money being lost on those tables with my buddies, but the, uh, the sports books, I will do that to, to a fault. And I do have a a guy and I do place a lot of bets. That's really the only way I can get through the NFL season in all honesty. I can't, it's hard to get through that as a Jets fan. So I, I gamble and I bet on NFL games on a weekly basis. I did not know this about you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's a, it's a good time. I understand that people have fun doing it. Well, it makes it more fun for me. Like, so I won't ever bet on the Jets or against the Jets because it just goes bad either way. (laughs) I'll hate them if they lose, if I, if I bet on them and then I, it's just hard for me to bet against any of my teams. Those would be good bets, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see uh, how this plays out. Hopefully it can revive Atlantic city a little bit because it's definitely taken a turn. Um, and, but I think it's a very huge point in, in uh, sports because we're going to start seeing more of, you know, the involvement of the actual team, the league um, with the, the betting uh, with the with the casinos and with the uh, the commissions, the betting commissions, and you know we we're talking about um, even NBA, but it'll happen in Major League Baseball too. I guarantee it. Is some of these teams are going to be looking for you know for part of the action on on winnings uh, if they were involved, and that's going to be a very interesting fine line on how that works. 
you know, if it's if it's um, if it's if it's if it's a big deal, because then you start talking about integrity of the game um, in, in different ways. And there's just a lot of different things to manipulate. So it'll be interesting to see how this thing plays out. I know each state still has to go through the, the right ways and they have to be set up by a, um, you know, an already established betting institution. So there's a lot of things that still have to happen, but it's coming and I'm glad it's coming. So next football season, if you can gamble legally on the NFL, will you do it legally or will you continue to do it illegally? Um, I'll probably use my guy because I have a guy. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably use my guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad think, I'm saying that think, on there. I think most people, no, a guy, a guy could be anybody. I think most people in your shoes who are, have been gambling and have a guy will continue to use their guys. Right. I think so too. It's easier. And it's, you know. It disappears. <laughs> right. It's, One it's, way or the other, it disappears. It's, fun, it's funny money. It's funny money, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a nice little roll that you can... That, you see, the thing is, is like, also, I know a lot of people bet, um, and I did this in college all the time. I remember uh, Andrew Dice Clay was the spokesman for, I think it was BetUS.com. And uh, for whatever reason, we were always just... We were, it was Andrew Dice Clay that got us. And we would always bet on there. But whenever you wanted to get your money out, this was, this was you know, 15, 20 years ago. Whenever you wanted to get your money out, there was always a problem. <laughs> there was always something going on or the check would take like a month to get to you if it ever got to you. <laughs> so you would be like, eh, I could wait a month or I could just keep betting and win more money. And then you lose it all. And that's how they got a lot of people. Because it was all offshore. It's still offshore, a lot of it, most of it. Well, what I think we learned in this episode is that people need to buy tickets to the May 26th event because you are bankrupt from gambling all your money away. Yeah, I'm a degenerate gambler and I need, uh, yep, that's exactly it. Go buy more stuff at the fan shop. Um, and, uh, and right now, instead of using, using actual football games, I just throw it on like cryptocurrencies now because it's pretty much like gambling. It's fun. <laughs> well, if you guys have not got your May 26 event tickets, what the hell are you waiting for? We're like two weeks away at this point, less than two weeks away. It's going to be an awesome yep. time against the Angels. Pre-game at the brewery, you get a free beer with the ticket plus the t-shirt. We're going to be hanging out at the brewery for a couple hours. Pre-game party, there'll be a food truck there. It's going to be an awesome time. And then the Yankees are going to kick the snot out of the Angels. Uh, anything else you want to you wanna cover before we get to Connor Foley? Yeah, I actually uh, just spoke with the guys at the brewery again to just finalize some details to make sure. So I'll give you a bit of an update. The um, the beer that comes with your ticket is a 16-ounce beer. And last year, it was only one beer. But now you have the option of their no-resolution IPA, American Pale Ale, the Banner Ale, which everybody knows about. Uh, and they have a session IPA called Slow Your Roll. So one of those four beers you're able to, to um, pick from, which is awesome. More more choices is good. And then their $16, or I'm sorry, 16-ounce pints for 5 bucks after that, which is a deal and a half. Um, we're going to be in the backyard of the brewery. So when you do get there, just come through the normal front door. And then all of our – everybody uh, will be in the backyard. That's where we'll have the bar set up. If you have people who are coming to the game that are under 21, our group is okay. You can bring them to the bar. They'll get – an X on their hand or a, uh, a wristband or something like that. And the, the, uh, food truck is dinosaur barbecue. If you're familiar with them they're I know they're in the city. They're in a couple other places as well. Really, really good, uh, barbecue. So they will be there. And then we're potentially going to have some music too. We're looking Ooh. for some live music we might have there. So I will let you know about that. Going to be, be a lot of fun, man. I'm going to have a, uh, it's going to be so much fun for yes. real. If you don't have your tickets, you're crazy. Great way to kick off the summer. Memorial Day weekend. It's going to be the the official start to summer. So it's going to be a lot of fun. 
Damn right. And uh, stay tuned for Connor Foley. And next episode, we will have some real baseball to talk about. So that should be fun. Talk to you guys on Monday. Let's go. Slight glimpse of the apocalypse to focus on sound. Ancient tools of the trace. Insurgents lay your weapons down. Approach close to scientific. Feel the chemical burn. Magnetic polarity. Still watch the earth turn. Surely time will convince us all. Stop, commence, and fall. Shots and tests. Joining the podcast now is Connor Foley. He's beat writer for the Scranton Times Tribune. You can catch him on Twitter at RailridersTT. Connor, what's up? Not much. How's it going? Good. As we were just discussing before we press record, it's soggy all over the East Coast. Doesn't look like the Rail Riders are going to be playing tonight either. Yeah. In fact, like this homestand, it's rained like two days. It's rained the hardest that it's like ever rained in the history of the franchise. <laughs> we had like hail one day. And I know that the Rail Riders like leave club. He was like, this is the hardest that I've ever seen it rain here. Yeah. And then yesterday the tarp was blowing all over the field and the guys were all out taking video of it because it was very exciting for them, I guess. <laughs> right. It's like it's like when there's a big blizzard that hits the East Coast and you get your entire Instagram and Twitter feed filled with pictures of snow. Uh, I guess you get pictures yeah. of rain, too. Awesome. Yeah. It was like, yeah, all the guys' Instagram accounts, uh, it, was, it was that. It was, it was a video of them, like, panning back and forth across the tarp. <laughs> so, yeah. It's been busy but, for But, I mean, it, it was... In their defense, it was a pretty good storm. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty pretty good rain. Whether uh, Al Roker would be would be excited about it, so you, you'd be probably be pumped. <laughs> it's been busy for you guys down there in Scranton, obviously with the call ups of Andujar and and Glaber. But then you got the rehab assignments of Brandon Jury. That's where I want to start. So the Yankees just reassigned him to AAA after his twenty day rehab was over. The numbers looked pretty good for Jury. So, but how has he looked in person? He's looked pretty good. Um, I know that uh, people were laughing when Aaron Boone said that uh, Glaber batting 400, you know, the numbers were sort of misleading when he was batting 400. But, uh, and with Jury, with Jury, it's kind of the same thing because, like, he'll have an at-bat where he looks pretty good, and then he'll have an at-bat where he looks a little overmatched. And I think, like, for him, he's still, like, he's still very, even though he's gone through the full rehab start, or the full rehab assignment, he's still very new into how he is going to go about treating this kind of thing. Um, the last couple of games, he's been messing around with some glasses that uh, like brighten up his field of view. And in one game, I think he wore it the first plate appearance, and then he took him off like the next two, and then he had him on in the field, and then he didn't have him on the field. So it's still like a pretty big, I want to say, learning process for him. Uh, to kind of figure out where he's comfortable and, you know, how he can go about, you know, really like fixing this thing to the best that he can. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I remember when he first went on the DL with it and he said to the media, I've been dealing with this my whole career, blurry vision. And the thought going up to face major league pitching with blurry vision is just insane. It's actually pretty amazing that he's had the success in his career that he's had. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean, it's hard to even fathom like how he was able to hit a ball, like much less, like even just like foul tip a ball. I, I don't know how it's possible. Like last week, we had guys with three crazy injuries come into the clubhouse. We had Clint with the two month concussion. We had Drury, and then we had Estrada come up around the same time, and he had he has a bullet in his hip. It's like these aren't the kind of injuries that like these guys are 
like signing up for when, you know, they become professional baseball players. Like, yeah, they're going to sprain an ankle. They're going to pull a hamstring and stuff like that. But I mean, these aren't just normal injuries for these guys. Like I think people kind of expect, Oh, he's playing now. So he's, he's done. Like, let's call him up. I think it's bigger than that. I think that these, these are injuries that these guys haven't ever dreamed of facing themselves. So it's kind of, it's kind of like a shock to the system for them, I think. Absolutely. Has he spoken? Have you spoken to him directly about the symptoms that he's going through? I know he's talked to the media in general, but have you had any conversations with him? Yeah, it was, it was kind of the, the same thing that he told the people in New York, like the migraines and the blurred vision. And when we got him, I think he was already a little tired of talking about that because I mean, you can only talk about that stuff so many times, but when we got him, it was more, how are the treatments going? And, you know, like, what, what are those like for you? And he said, he said they're definitely helping, but he sees noticeable improvement with them. So I think he was, he, there was definitely a sense of relief for him because I can only imagine, like, just day to day how miserable that must have been to have an injury like that where you have headaches every day and you can't see. And, like, that would be miserable just going to like an office job and working with that. But he seemed like there was definitely a sense of relief with him with how the treatments were going. And I asked him like, cause there's a crazy diagnosis, like the, the irritated tendon or whatever. I was like, did that surprise you? Had you ever heard of anything like that? And he's like, no, what they, what the doctors described with that diagnosis, he said like it checked every box for everything that he was feeling at that time. And so, he was pretty happy that they finally pinpointed it and he could start to, you know, learn how to treat it. Right. Because I have to imagine for him, this is, and it's like this for any player. If you say you tear an ACL, there is a pretty set timetable for your return. You have to go through the rehab and then it'll eventually heal and you can return. But for something like this, where it's so unknown, I mean, this is this guy's livelihood. And if he can't figure out what's wrong with him, I mean, he could just be shit out of luck and never really be able to play baseball again. So I have to imagine that was also weighing on him. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, like that's pretty much exactly what I was thinking was, you know, there's a plan for Tommy John. Like, yeah, some guys are going to differ a little bit, but you pretty much know how to come back from that. You know the exercises you have to do, the, you know the progressions that you have to hit. But for him, he's kind of like just charting this new path. Like, even talking to Bobby Mitchell, the Rail Riders manager, we've kind of, you know, asked him every couple of days, you know, how's Jury feeling? And he's like, he, he really can't give us a straight answer every day because it's like – unless he has gone to Drury that day to say, how are you feeling today? He doesn't know because it's something that changes like that quickly. Hmm. So it, it's, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't want to go through the injury <laughs> that he's going through, but uh, it, I mean, it can't be fun. And I mean, you got to like admire the, the fact that the guy is that he, you know, stepped up and told the Yankees that this was going on. Sure. I don't exactly know why he didn't tell the Diamondbacks that it was going on, but, you got to admire that, like he finally came forward because it's something that could have, you know, ruined his career if the Yankees didn't, you know, like, like what was going on. Yeah, Scott and I were actually kind of hypothesizing about that when it first came up, and it's like the Diamondbacks, the Yankees didn't know about it. It wasn't in any medical reports that they got. The Diamondbacks didn't know about it. Maybe it just got 
to a point this year where it was worse than it ever was before with Arizona? I mean, who knows? I guess only Brandon will will ever know that answer. But do you think the Yankees, uh, do you get a sense that if Andujar was not performing uh, so well and contributing that they may bring Jury back up? I think that they got, I don't want to say lucky, but I, I think that Jury still needed time down here. Because, I mean, he just got the glasses this week. So he wasn't going to go up to New York, like, trying one at bet with the glasses and trying one at bet without the glasses. Like, that's just not how it was going to happen. So I think that they got a little lucky in that I think even Drury knows that he needs a little extra time to, you know, keep giving these treatments a chance to do what they have to do and to keep adjusting to, you know, the glasses and, and stuff like that. And I talked to Bobby about it, I want to say like two weeks ago, maybe. And he was still thinking that Drew was a little late on fastballs. Um, He didn't know if that was just like still shaking off the rust or if that was a product of, you know, the whole injury. So I think he still has some stuff that he has to take care of down here before the Yankees would have considered bringing him back up. Uh, so Clint Frazier gets the call up. I thought I thought originally it was going to be just for the National League games, but they only got half a game in in the National League, and they're on to Kansas City. And I guess they're keeping him on the roster. I, I saw some some news that the Yankees are going to try and get him some at bats over the weekend versus lefties. I don't know if it's going to be very long term after that. I, I don't see how the Yankees have many um, spots open for for another outfielder. But regardless. Uh, what else do you think Frazier, if anything, needs to show them from AAA? Uh, I don't know. He was looking really, really good. And, like, to the point where, like, end of last year, I thought, you know, if they have to trade Clint, then they have to trade Clint. But after seeing, like, what he's able to do this year when he's, like, going full Clint Frazier he's really something special. Like to the point where, I mean, you don't see guys like that all the time. Like you see Claver, and then, I mean, Clint's like, right. I don't want I don't know if he's right on Glaber's tier because Glaber was doing, he, he was hitting this well at AAA last year before he got injured. And that was as a 20 year old, but Clint is, he is, he's really something special. He, the power is there and it's, I mean, yeah, it's because of the bat speed, but it's also because, I mean, he's just a good hitter overall. Like, I I think that when people heard that legendary bat speed, they thought just home runs right off the bat. But Clint is a really good hitter just outside of home runs. He has to cut down on the strikeouts a little bit, and I think that was something that he was working on when he was here was he, he kept on saying that he wanted to be early uh, on pitches. and not it started out like he was saying that he wanted to be pulling the ball more, but that was just a product of he wanted to be in a position to hit earlier than he had been. He he calls it uh, feeling the dance. I don't know <laughs> why, but that's what he's calling it with uh, the rail rider sitting coach, Phil plants here. But uh, it's, it's pretty much, he's just trying to, I think eliminate some extra timing in his, set up so that he can be in a better position to hit, hit the ball 
when it's pitched to him. <laughs> yeah, feeling the dance might just be one of Clint's sayings that we might never know the meaning to. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Brian Cashman even said he's a major league player that just happens to be playing in the minor leagues right now. Uh, and I, I've, I've thought maybe they're going to trade him too just because I think they need pitching and he, he's at a position of strength right now. But if, if they don't trade him, uh, I, I just – if he sticks in the – he's not going to get play, enough playing time in the majors in my opinion. So if he sticks in the minors for the rest of the season, how do you think he's going to handle that? Because he probably should be in the major leagues. He's – that really hasn't seemed to affect him that much. Um, and maybe it'll – like he, he was – I mean this last stint that he was with us, he was just happy to be back on the field again because he was sitting in his Tampa apartment with his cats for two months. Um, and he said that was getting a little boring. <laughs> Not the cats part, but just sitting in the apartment part. Um, but I, it, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he spends, I don't, I don't know, like a week with the club this time around and then gets sent back down, how he'll react. But he's really, I mean, I like Clint a lot, just personality-wise. I think... I, I really don't think that would, as, as long as he is working on something, I, I don't think it'll mess him up too much. Yeah, I, I agree. I like him as well. We've had him on the show uh, about a year and a half ago, and he, he was extremely nice. And you hear stories about him in the media, how he's a cocky kid or whatever. But he is he has said pretty much all the right things. He cut his hair. He got all of that stuff behind him. So... I, I agree with you. I think he's got the right mentality. And I still hope he can find a place on this team because I think he's an exciting player. Uh, a guy who maybe does not have a place on this team going forward is Tyler Wade. He had his opportunity last year, and then he made the team out of spring training this year, and he just did not hit. And with the way Glaber has come up and, and contributed, I mean, the team is barely lost with him on the roster. And the way Torres is as a utility player, I just don't see a spot for Wade. Um, what has his attitude been like since he got sent back down? Um, when he first came down, I mean, he was obviously pretty disappointed because, I mean, he won the job out of spring training. He had a job there locked up. I mean, if he had been performing well and if Glaber was performing well, maybe Wade takes Torres' spot and, you know, Torres is sent down here. Or, I don't know. Like, if he had performed better in New York, there's a chance even with Glaber coming up and getting a starting role that Tyler would have had some sort of role on that team and he would have probably been happy just to be in the majors around uh, all his buddies on that team. But he's he's been he's been okay down here. Um, he's still a, a ridiculously good fielder. He's shown that like almost every game. They're trying their hardest to move him around to a bunch of positions. He's played some center field. I think he's played right field down here along with uh, second and short. But with the injuries to uh, Tyro Estrada and um, just a, a bunch of other injuries in the infield, Wade keeps getting stuck back at shortstop. So as soon as they get Tyro healthy again, and I think even now that they have Ray Navarro on the team and maybe even Vince Condi, that Wade is going to be able to start moving around to more positions. I think that'll probably, probably help him out. And, I mean, Bobby Mitchell has said that that is – definitely in the plans for Wade is they want to they want to get him 
off of shortstop because he's pretty much mastered that position. And they want to get him playing other places. Um, at the plate, he's still struggling a little bit. Uh, I don't know if he has like any, he might have one or two multi-hit games since he's been down here, but I think he's still trying to work some stuff out mechanically at the plate because, I mean, that's just where it looks like kind of when he's at the plate and, and, and BP and stuff. So he's got some adjustments to make, but he was, I mean, last year, the Tyler Wade that we saw was one of the best players in this league. And if he's able to re-tap into that, then he, he'll he be a big leaguer at some point. I don't know if it'll be for the Yankees just because they're so blocked up in the infield. But, I mean, you never know. Maybe they get to a position where they start liking Wade more than Torres for the super utility role. I mean, we'll see. Right, yeah, and I think last year, like you said, he proved he can hit AAA pitching. He just has not proved that he can hit Major League pitching yet. But I still think there's got to be a team out there if the Yankees are are making a trade at the deadline. I mean, Wade's not going to be a centerpiece, but I think he could be a valuable asset to a team in a trade. Yeah, and I'll say this for Wade's part. Like, when he came up last year, he went, like, weeks without playing under uh, Girardi. So, I mean, that was kind of rough on him i mean you can't expect a guy who's never been in the big leagues before to sit a week and then be able to come out and perform like a big leaguer and then this year he won the job out of spring but then he got sick and he like really sick and he lost a lot of weight and i think i mean that that knocks a guy out of his rhythm too when he I mean, even like sitting a couple games will knock you out of your rhythm so i think yeah he hasn't i mean numbers wise he hasn't performed well in the big leagues but it's not like it's not like he hasn't hit a couple bumps along the way that you know have kept him from you know being the kind of player that he can be yeah that's definitely fair i think i saw you you tweet out that justice sheffield is going to make his next start on saturday right so it's a little up in the air it was on the board yesterday as he was going to be saturday starter and then today he wasn't Saturday starter, and it was Kerner. I think they're just trying to uh, align their rotation the best, and they're trying to figure out where Sheffield would slot in best with the guys. He'll either start Saturday or Sunday. They said five days after the off day, so five days after the off day would be Saturday. So I still would lean towards Saturday, but he's he's feeling fine and um, – I think it's it's probably good that they just gave him a couple extra days with that seven-day DL that we have here. Yeah, that seemed to be just precautionary. And he's made two starts in AAA. The, number, the numbers, I mean, it's small sample size, obviously, but just what I can deem from the numbers, he's not getting hit hard, but he's just walking too many guys. Is that is that what you're seeing? Yeah, in Pawtucket, which was his first start, it was on the road. He was, I think he was a little fired up. Um which is kind of exactly what he did at Trenton, too. I think he walked six in his first outing of the year, maybe. He, he's the, I mean, even like through two starts, you can tell that he is like super competitive. And you, like even watching him on the backfield in spring training one day, he was like really upset that he didn't get an out. And I thought this is a spring training game, <laughs> but it's going to get, it's going to get better. But I mean, he's like, he's like Severino level competitive on the mound. So I think that's one of the things that they really like about him. But 
in his and then in, in his in the one start that we actually saw him here um, at PNC, that was the one he left early. He was he was a little little wild in the first inning, and uh, I think he didn't have the velocity that he normally has. He was like ninety topping out at ninety four, ninety three, and then in his last inning he threw a couple fastballs that I think were ninety. And I think that's kind of what brought out uh, the trainer and stuff. But I think uh, I, I think he's. I look forward to seeing Sheffield uh, in the next few starts here. So staying in the rotation, Chance Adams was the guy everyone had their eye on. He has not had a good start to his season, but Rogers has sort of got the attention of everybody because he has had a good season so far. So kind of just take us through what each of them, what what you've seen from each of them so far. So Chance is starting tonight, and uh, I think the Real Riders just want to see him be a little more aggressive, a little more quick. Um, he... He hasn't really shown the chance that was in Trenton and in Florida or and in Tampa the year before that um, at all since he's been in AAA. And I think, I mean, he he's not one to make excuses for anything, but we did find out on media day that he did have his elbow uh, cleaned out in the offseason. I think he had a bone spur uh, or chip. I forget which one it was. Um, so maybe that had something to do with uh, the chance that wasn't Trenton not showing up in AAA. But I think he's he's still got some work to do. He is pretty young still. He's only 23, 24, I think. Um, and he's still, you know, relatively new to starting. I mean, he was a reliever uh, at the end of his college career. So I think they just want to see some consistency from him. And I don't know how they get that out of him, but uh, – I, I, I think they're working pretty hard on it. Um, Rogers, uh, first of all, if you don't know who Josh Rogers is, he's one of the nicest guys in the clubhouse. And I think I tweeted out the other day. I've got I got him as a Vegas favorite as the uh, season two star of homegrown. I think I think PJ won it last year. Uh, I, I think I think Rogers has a shot at this year. Okay, I'll keep but, my, uh, I'll keep my eye on that. <laughs> I think they just did, I think episode two, I think they just did like some sort of cribs knockoff with uh, Rogers and, and Sheffield at their house. So nice. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, Rogers was supposed to be in the bullpen uh, at the outside of the season. But I mean, back then the rail riders had Sessa in the rotation and Herman and Chance and a lot of, a lot of other guys. So he was kind of squeezed out. He, was not really looking forward to that because I mean, starters never really look forward to going to the bullpen. They're used to starting. So I think, uh, I think when he got the opportunity to start, he just kind of took it and ran with it. And he's been by far their best starter this year. He's, he's the kind of guy who he works super quick. And when he gets in a rhythm, it's hard to get him out of a rhythm. he, I mean, he's your typical like lefty guy. He likes to work inside to righties, and then he's got a changeup and you know a breaking ball. But he's he's been pretty impressive this these uh, first couple weeks here at AAA. Yeah, I thought when once Montgomery went down and they announced that that Herman was going to get his spot, I thought if Herman struggles, we might see Rogers get a shot at it. Do you uh, do you think he's ready to pitch in the majors, or does he need a little bit more time in the minors? 
he might need a little more time. Um, I don't, I mean, I, I think if he went up there, he'd probably be fine, but I think he's still got some stuff that he can work on. And, you know, like he's, he said that he still has some stuff that he can work on down here, but I, I, He's he's interesting. I'll put it that way. He's he's an interesting guy. Now now you're because, you're teasing you're teasing everybody who's listening. Like what what's going on? You, there's something that you're not saying here. No, I mean it's just the Yankees kind of tend to have these prospects that you know they're not high on prospect. Like Montgomery was kind of a perfect example. He was never super high on anybody's list, and then when he got to AAA, it's like when you see this guy in person, it's like this is a really good pitcher. And for whatever reason, guys are just swinging and missing at, you know, stuff that doesn't jump off the scoreboard to you velocity-wise. But there's something that this guy has that guys just can't really figure out. And I think Rodgers has a little bit of that mystery to him. Like, the Yankees have kind of, you know, kept it quiet with him prospect-wise. But there's no reason that, like, there's no reason that he shouldn't be on prospect list. I think it's just, like, he's just kind of, been working his way along quietly and you know all of a sudden he's kind of dominating triple a cool well connor we appreciate you joining us it was good to uh catch up on all the stuff and hopefully we can get catch up with you later in the season yeah anytime guys hey guys thanks for listening to the bronx pinstripe show make sure you find us on itunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone if you do like the show We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.